Welcome to Best Sellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And this is Phil Williams. And we are going to talk to you about our favourite books of the year for 2023. Now, let me tell you what this isn't. It's not a competition. It's not a chart. What it is, is we both want to share with you our five favorite books. And we struggle to get it down to five, by the way. Let me tell you that. And the reason we want to do that is because these were books that have come along out of nowhere, blindsided us, connected with us emotionally. And we think they could connect with you emotionally and you might take a great deal of pleasure out of it so this isn't like where the newspapers do this was the best thing of the it's not that these are our five each favorite books that we hope might become a favorite of yours And yeah, just to add on to that, there's been absolutely no pressure from publishers or anything no. to kind of lean no. on us about our choices. And I actually kind of kept changing my the top five that I've enjoyed this year, but I just went for Did genuinely. You, how many times? Oh uh, yeah, quite a lot. But I, I again, I kind of in my head, I just wanted to do that thing where which were the books were actually all I wanted to do was just steal another chapter. You know, whatever else was going yeah. on yeah, yeah, in yeah. the world at that time. Or you try gonna... and get to a meeting early. Yeah. <laughs> on purpose so that you can sneak in a, another chapter. Yeah, and just those big books that really made me happy and smile and made me think and, yeah, just kind of added something to my life this year. So that's how I chose. Before we get into them, a mm -hmm. brief one, because I never do this, uh, but it's worth saying as well. Thank you again for listening and for supporting this podcast. If at all you can, help at all to help us go with the running costs. So whether that's editing software or Zooms, microphones, um, it's just Phil and I who do this. There is a way you can buy us a metaphorical coffee on Kofi, uh, which is a site that enables that to happen. So the website is kofi.com forward slash, <laughs> why can't I say forward slash? kofi.com forward slash bestsellers podcast. And that is kofi. So it's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash bestsellers podcast, all one word. I quite like the fact that you're still going with forward slash. It's quite cute. It's quaint. What 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 isn't it? Just is it just slash just now? Slash, yeah. Just slash. Slash. Well, whenever I say slash, I just <laughs> think of. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think of Guns and Roses. Um, yeah. Okay, slash forward slash. Yeah, yeah. When does ever use a backward slash? What even is that anyway? It's not there anymore. Not a thing. It's gone. Is it? Or is it a thing? I know. I tell you when it is. It's when you're on a secure site and it's HTTPS backslash backslash. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I'm just looking at my keyboard. I don't yeah. even know if I've got a backward slash. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, it'll be on an alt yeah. key somewhere. Yeah, it's it's not it's not as um not as common as the forward one though, eh? <laughs> it's more exclusive. Right. Do you want to start or shall I? Uh you go. Okay. So first of all, then I want to give an honorable mention to Michael Connolly's Resurrection Walk. And the only reason that it's not in the top five for me today is because we just did him as a pod ep about mm -hmm. two weeks ago. And I don't want to repeat what you heard there. And Michael says it far better than I could. But I just want to reaffirm, in case you're in any doubt, in case you listen to this list and go, why hasn't he got a Mike Connolly on there when there's been one out? He is my all-time favourite writer. He knows it. You know it. Natalie knows it. And we don't need to say any more. But read Resurrection Walk. I just spoke to a colleague of mine at Radio 2 who said he'd done it in three days. That's how wow. good this is. Yeah, that is so good. Th that's, that's the honourable mention for that. So the first one I'm going to mention properly is romantic comedy. Curtis Sittenfeld. It's, uh, well, we spoke to Curtis in, I think, May of this year, mm -hmm. of 2023. And what I love about this is that it's um, it's a kind of 
well, I was going to say anti-love story, but it's not anti-love. It's more that it's just not your archetypal boy meets girl and falls in love. Is it? It's much more difficult and complicated than that. And it's set around the cast and crew of Saturday Night Live or a type of Saturday Night Live. And that gives it an extra dimension for me. And it's written with great warmth, great humour. We love chatting to Curtis. She told us who the characters were based on off air. And we'll never, ever tell you that, even if you hold a lighter to our toes. <laughs> And, and I'm really sorry for doing that because I think that's really annoying if you're listening, but we just couldn't resist and it's really cool. Yeah, well, we didn't ask. She offered, didn't she? She did. And, um, and so, yeah, and we weren't a million miles away, were we, actually, from, from memory? Although, you know, now, even though I say that, I actually now can't remember, can you? I can't actually. I'd have to look it up what she told <laughs> yeah. us. Uh, and then it's on the cutting room floor somewhere. So, because we are trustworthy journalists. <clears throat> so... <laughs> A romantic comedy, Curtis Sittenfeld. There's not much more to say about that, really. I know you nodded. I saw you nodding, so I know you loved it, but it's not a duplicate, right? It's not made your... No, it hasn't, but I'm really pleased that it's made yours because I had this longer list, and uh, that was absolutely on it for me as well because I just so enjoy Curtis's writing as well. Um, I've read so many of her books, and, yeah, she's just got this way with words, and she's kind of one of those people who I think falls a bit into the David Nichols category whereby she writes incredibly accessible fiction but also manages to get quite a lot of literary attention as well um she's incredibly well regarded uh but her books are so easy to read again yeah. i say this all the time but just in the best way and you you kind yeah. of fall in love with these characters and want to see what happens with them um so she yeah does people brilliantly she does and, and it's people funny are difficult as well to do aren't they mm. And I'm glad yeah. you said funny. I was going to move on to that in that I always bemoan to you the lack of funny books around. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike Gale's book we did this year was also funny. But I can't think of another one I've read this year that was funny. Actually, there are some funny moments in one book I'm going to mention later on. Okay. But it's not an out-and-out -out comedy. Well, this <laughs> isn't an out-and-out -out comedy, is it? is it? But No. But it's superb. Romantic comedy, Curtis, in fact, is my first choice. One of my first five books of 2023, Natalie Jameson. Okay, so I am going to give an honourable mention then as well to a book by Jean Kwok. It's called The Leftover Woman, and this is a debut author. It's something that I really enjoyed this year just because I was intrigued by the story. It's about, uh, I'm never very good at doing synopsis, so I'll kind of just read the one from her website. So this gives you an idea of what the story is about. Jasmine Yang arrives in New York City from her rural Chinese village without money or family support, fleeing a controlling husband on a desperate search for the daughter who was taken from her at birth another female casualty of China's controversial one-child policy. But with her husband on her trail, the clock is ticking, and she's forced to make increasingly desperate decisions if she ever hopes to be reunited with her daughter. Meanwhile, publishing executive Rebecca Whitney seems to have it all. A prestigious family name and the wealth that comes with it. A high-powered career, a beautiful home, a handsome husband, and an adopted Chinese daughter she adores. I'll just leave it at that. Obviously, the second one's got the kid, and the birth mother tries to reclaim the child, right? It was sort of a mix between a thriller and a, like a family drama. Um, it was just, yeah, it was a real page turner for me. And I really enjoyed Jean Kwok's writing. And I think it's one of those things where it's really hard to break through when you're a debut author. So I just wanted to give that a brief honourable okay. mention okay. for now. Okay. And then my first pick of my books of the year, uh, seeing as you just mentioned it, it is Mike Gale, A Song of Me and You. Oh, wow. So I'm really pleased you picked this because it didn't quite make my <laughs> list, but I really loved it as well. So that's great. 
Yeah, so this almost is almost like uh, we planned it, but I promise you, we haven't <laughs> we haven't discussed this with each other. I've no idea what's on Natalie's list and vice versa. It's a surprise, and yeah, this was just one of those books that was so joyful to read, and I think it came into my world at a time when, well, to be honest, like quite a lot of twenty twenty three has been quite bleak news wise. Um, and yeah, it was a really good distraction. It really helped my brain. It was funny. The characters were so likable. This was the one that was about a uh, an ordinary mum who her teenage boyfriend, uh, they kind of lost touch, but basically he then went on to be the singer in one of the world's most famous bands. And then one day he just turns back up on her doorstep and her marriage is sort of falling apart. And yeah, it just reconnects these two people and it sort of asks those questions about, you know, what might happen? Is their love still there? Is it was it never meant to be in the first place? Should you just be happy with your life as it is, with what's in front of you? Or are you kind of hoping still of like riches and houses in Los Angeles and whatever it might be? And and it just presents it in this beautiful way because Mike Gale is such an accomplished writer that he draws you into the story and yeah, I love this book, A Song of Me and You by Mike Gale. Now, I'm surprised to hear you use the phrase ordinary mum there in the setup because as a mother yourself, I thought you'd know that all mums are extraordinary. <laughs> There's no such thing as an ordinary mum. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I think, well, I think it's one of those, it is a bit of a very much actually a stereotype, right? So, and by ordinary, it's probably, is that the way to say now that conventional uh, so, mum well, you know or what more I mean? like a, a classic domestic setup yeah so she is a part-time teacher and actually now I'm, I'm quite annoyed at myself for calling her an ordinary mum because like what even is that it's like I think I was just assuming and I think I'm right in saying this that she's basically the primary caregiver in that relationship so a lot of her life choices have perhaps been stymied a bit by the domestic responsibilities that have been placed upon her there's that. And also, I think the word ordinary was in your brain, I'm going to dare to suggest, because she's paired with this rock star. So compared yeah. to the life that he's led, she's led what you'd call a more conventional mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to see her at the school gates when you do pick up than you are him. Yes. But That's again, like that. reading that story, don't get me wrong, like Ben, who was the rock star, mm. was funny and great. But Helen was the one that I really wanted to spend time with. She was really funny and mm. I really liked her outlook on life. And yeah. Hmm, and again, going back to what you said about Curtis Sittenfeld and the comparison with David Nichols, Mike Gale writes great romance. It's credible, believable. It's never icky. It's never syrupy. It's just real. It's real life with real humour. And we've done Mike Gale twice now. I mean, I think, I think he's only one off his hat-trick appearance, isn't he? And um, he's been... Every book I've read of his is superb. He's got a really deft touch. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's got a way with words. It's almost like he's an accomplished author who's written tons <laughs> of books. <laughs> yeah, so that was book 19 that we did mm. Mike Gale for. So we'll have to catch him for his 20th next time, next time round for sure. So that's called... That is called A Song of Me and You by Mike Gale. I'm going to hit you up next with a book that I brought to the table in January of this year and a writer that you were previously unfamiliar with, but a guy that had written this book I absolutely fell in love with about five years ago called uh, The Impossible Fortress, and this is Jason Rekulak, R-E-K-U-L-A-K. And I'm not just picking this because Jason said to us, well, this podcast is great. There's nothing like this where I live in America. Um, but I'm picking this because Hidden Pictures 
was a really, really clever novel about uh, a young woman around 1920 who's come out of drugs rehab. And part of her rehab program is that she needs to get a job. So she gets a job nannying for this family with a, a young child. Uh, they do tell you the age of the child in the book. It's been a year since I read it. So I want to say around five or six, but around yeah. that age, right? And the child starts doing these incredible drawings and they're too good for that age group. So you think, well, who's doing the drawings? What's happening there? And the drawings kind of depict a tragic event. And more than that, I don't want to tell you because it's a mystery as well and you need to work it out for yourself. But the reason I love, so I loved it anyway. First of all, it's a great narrative. Then when we spoke to him, he said that he was unsure about putting pictures in a storybook. So he went to an illustrator and he's had these kids' pictures actually drawn. So instead of him describing them through prose, you turn the page and it's there on the next page of the book, right? So it's actually yeah. one of those rare exceptions for me where the physical copy of the book is better than trying to read this on a tablet because you've, you've got them in front of you. I mean, they're in both, but I just it, it looks nicer in your hand. And so what he did, he went to an illustrator and he said, this is my idea for the story and they said sounds great and he said but i can't get it commissioned so he said we're gonna have to write it and do it so i'll pay you for your work on spec and then i'll try and sell it and i thought that's so brave isn't it it's such a brave thing to do and of course he did and it's been a big hit and stephen king no less has blurbed the cover so this is hidden pictures jason Rekulak, r-e-k-u-l-a-k and uh, it just kept me guessing kept me on the edge of my seat it's not gruesome but it is thrilling and a little bit kind of spine tingly in parts but i didn't find it too much did you no uh it was creepy mm. um it was i'm um, trying to like cast my mind back i think this was one of the books that i read this year that i struggled with reading just before bed which is when i usually do most of my reading because, <laughs> because it was too freaky <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair that is fair um but it's just great just such a good story and cleverly executed and boldly conceived by Jason. So that's my next pick. Lovely. So moving on, this is my second of five we're going to go through, but we'll try and rattle through them all so you're not listening to us for days. Um, <laughs> this is Madly Deeply, the Alan Rickman Diaries, which has been out for a little bit, but I got it's this. It's just by my bed. Oh, is it's it? just by my oh. bed, yeah. And I went to it. Um, I use it as a reference book and I went to it because two weeks ago I went to see Die Hard in the cinema again because mm -hmm. it was showing for the Christmas movies selection and we're not going to have that discussion there. Because it um, is a Christmas movie. It is, right? But the book um, starts after Die Hard, doesn't it? I think it starts 91 or 92. So if you go to the end index, there are two references to it and one of them is really, really funny. It is. Um, but the rest of it is just, well, it's your pick, so you can describe it. But I'm glad you've chosen this as well, because, yeah, I, I haven't finished this, by the way. I'm still dipping into this. Well, I'm I'm intrigued to hear how you found the reading experience of it, because this actually was one that I'd, I dipped into a little bit um, previously, but I hadn't. I was reading it on my Kindle and I hadn't bought the full book. I just read a sample and then I bought the full book and I was having a bit of a reading slump. I was finding it quite challenging to stick with a story like if there was any tricky plot points or quite a lot of characters my brain just couldn't follow it it was couldn't one of those concentrate. no it was one of I those moments yeah I get that and this book was was brilliant because the diary entries from alan rickman are so succinct they're really short but quite biting a lot of the time but also just really um 
really relatable, actually. Uh, I kind of wanted a lot of his lifestyle and less of the making movies and that kind of thing. But, you know, he has a summer home in Italy, which just sounds beautiful. He spent a lot of his time, which is, I think, what probably lots of us would love to do if we had the time and the resources to do so. He just goes out for lovely lunches in really tasty restaurants with with friends and has interesting conversations and I just love that if I could do that all the time I'd well actually it'd probably be quite draining wouldn't it but um but most of the time that's really fun I think to just do that and see where the conversation's going to take you and yeah he he often would stay up and watch films and then give a one-line assessment of them throughout his diaries and yeah they're just delightful have you enjoyed that kind of bite-sized reading approach so I have. Firstly, yes, I have very much. They're very funny, very pithy, quite bitchy. And um, what intrigued me was, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, I wonder how he wrote this. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if he, is he, has he grabbed his notepad just before going to bed and gone, went to this, blah, 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 something catty, bomb, put it down. Or has he done it in the afternoon where he's maybe caught up on a few days of, that's what I was intrigued by because some of them are really pithy and then others are quite way more incisive and way more measured. Um, and that's why I've only dipped in, I think, probably similar to you, because it is basically it's a series of diary entries. So it's really easy. You don't even have to read it chronologically if you don't want to. You could literally yeah. open it randomly, read five, make yourself laugh, go to bed and then start again tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I, again, I need to find the time to finish it. But we have this discussion all the time about books, don't we? I've still got to read the new Richard Osman. I haven't read that. Mm. And I loved the last one. Well, I've loved the last several, and so I need to get up to date with that. I've got to finish Stephen King's Holly, which I'm 280 into, but there's another 220 to go. And um, so, yes, I've got to get up to speed on all these things and then maybe find some time to read some more Rickman sneering. Yeah, again, I think sometimes we, things we're talking about our books of the year, and hopefully this is inspiring people to try something that they may not have thought of up to this point but just like take that pressure off you I mean I know we sometimes put pressure on ourselves I'm talking about you and me Phil because we want to make more of these podcasts which requires reading the books but should we just like just read what you want to read like don't feel you have to read Osman if you don't want you know I I really want to (laughs) I I really want to I bought it I've paid money for it it's in hardback. It's by the side of the bed, and it's it's next up once I finish the Stephen King book. But I hate starting books and not finishing them if I'm liking them. I'm loving mm-hmm. the Stephen King mm-hmm. book. I just haven't finished it. But um, yeah, if it's if it's not when I spoke to some kids recently at a at a secondary school, and I, I quoted Nick Hornby to them who came on my radio show once and said, "There's no such thing as a bad book. You just might not get on with that book." He said, "If you're not getting on with it, find one you do." Yeah. And he's talking about this pressure that people feel to finish books. Don't finish a book just because it's a piece of art. If you don't like it, give it to somebody else who might like it. Start another one that you will like. That's why libraries are so great. Mm -hmm. That's true. Love a library. They're brilliant. So uh, my next one, this one, I think we can just about call a book of 2023. I suspect it came out the year before, but 23 was the year I got to it. And in the year the book went stratospheric with an Apple TV adaptation. But I've chosen Bonnie Garmus's Lessons in Chemistry. And the reason I've chosen this is because usually Natalie and I, and this isn't a humble brag, this is just a fact of life because we get sent stuff up front. Usually we're ahead of the party, right? And this one, I was very late to this party. 
And there's a danger, I think, with books and films that if you're so late to the party and everyone has eulogised it, it can't possibly live up to the hype you've been fed. That's always my concern. People say to you, you've got to read this book. Have you not? You haven't read Lessons in Chemistry. <gasps> oh, you've got to read that. Prioritise it. Go and buy it and read it now. And you think, wow, this is high praise. Ten people have told me this in the last week. I better go and buy it. And then I start to think, what happens if I don't like it? What happens if it's not that good? Anyway, it is that good. And it's another debut, which makes it all the cleverer, I think, for some of the tricks that Bonnie Garmus pulls off. But in essence, this is about a female scientist in the 50s who's working at an academic institution. And the women scientists just aren't given the credibility. They're not believed. So their research never really gets the push. Um, so she teams up with a male scientist, partly to assist that, and then ends up falling for that person, but doesn't quite understand what's happening in terms of love because love isn't really on her radar and doesn't fit the science. And then a parent at the school, isn't it, uh, comes and offers her the TV show. I can't remember who the person is that does it. I think it's a fellow parent at the school and um, at her child's school. And she suddenly becomes this TV cookery host. But what she wants to do, which is what the largely female audience who love her also wants, is recipes based around science and exact quantities of food and exact cooking times to get the, the optimum food dish. But what the network wants is just because she's fit, basically, and they just want a pretty woman on the screen. And so there's a brilliant playoff between the American TV network and her own personal beliefs and what the audience wants. And it's a real tour de force for women, I think. But that didn't stop me as a man enjoying it. I just absolutely love this book. And if anything, it makes you question as a man um, some of your attitudes and approaches to uh, women and to women's work and to things that you perhaps expect women to do in life that maybe you shouldn't expect them to do. And uh, for all of those reasons, and the fact that there's humour in here, and the fact that uh, part of it, there's like a British link in the story as well, that I don't want to spoil too much. Um, and also reminded me of when I could go on a rowing machine without breaking my back, which I can't do anymore. Mm. So all of those reasons meant I love this book. And I know you've read this as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I read it. I did try to get her for bestsellers, actually, way back when. But she was then so busy that it was really difficult to get her. But maybe her time will come. We'll see. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful book. And it just does some really clever, but not like sneeringly clever, just really fun, clever things in the text. And there's a really gorgeous uh canine character in this um the way like bonnie garmas talks about food is great because it's very much about the nutritional value of it too and then the only thing i'd add is if you have apple tv plus in your life or if you are considering maybe getting a trial for that because quite often with these streaming services i know there's so many and they really rack up cost wise but yeah. often you can get kind of like a one to three month trial we got a i think a, a trial with apple through one of our bank accounts recently anyway and have you watched it because i haven't seen yeah, it yeah i've watched it is i've it seen good? all of it yeah it's really good does it live up to your imagination yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's like you know, sometimes if you've done the book and then it goes to tv it's not but it's, you know there are obviously differences between the tv series adaptation and the book but the essence of the story is there and brie larson uh plays elizabeth zott who is the main character in this and just does it in such a winning way. Um, she is steadfast and determined, but not cold with it. She's incredibly friendly and open and and caring. And yeah, it's a beautiful series. Again, if you've got some time, um, read the book, have a look at the series and just enjoy the story. Lessons in Chemistry, Bonnie Garmus is G-A-R-M-U-S. 
So my next book of 2023 is Maybe Next Time by Jessica Major. You might have seen this if you're into kind of like the book world and things that are happening in publishing. Uh, Jessica Major's, this latest book of hers has been chosen by Reese Witherspoon for one of her books of the month. Can I just clarify? I'm, I'm not trying to be a dick, but you're saying Cheska as in you Francesca. Think- I thought yes. you were saying Jessica to start with. Ah, uh, no, Cheska. So C-E-S-C-A major. Right. Right. I assume it's Cheska as opposed to Seska, Cheska. And this is a, I don't really know how best to describe it because I don't really want to give anything away, but it is about a woman who has a couple of kids. The kids are going through something. Um, She's got a really stressful job. Her husband they're kind of they've drifted a little bit, but they have this tradition whereby when it comes up to their uh, their dataversary, they always write each other a letter that just puts back in mind a sort of a notion of gratitude. And actually, you know, hopefully we can all do that in our lives, however chaotic things might get. And especially if you've got young kids or if you've got a really stressful job or you've got caring responsibilities in your family, whatever it might be, just those things sometimes when you can actually end up being a little bit short, a little bit off with the person that you probably love the most in the world who's sharing your house with you. And so they write these letters to each other. And what happens is that Emma forgets to write this letter one day and then something awful happens. And there's a twist of fate that then means she gets to perhaps change the circumstances. But will it change enough? And this is I'm just like getting like goosebumps as I'm describing it to you. you? It's, yeah, it's one of those stories where it took me a little while to kind of get into it because I was like, oh, is it going to be a bit much like emotionally? I'm not quite sure after that reading slump I'd had. Like, mm-hmm. is this going to be for me? Is it, a, you know, but it's it's really funny. It's really like heartwarmingly beautiful and gorgeous in the storytelling. And I was so wrapped up in this story that there are not that many books that have made me cry. But I just couldn't help but cry when I got to a certain point in this book. I literally had just had to stop everything and be like, I kind of know what's happening now. And it still got me. It absolutely floored me. Um, but in the best way, it wasn't depressing. It was kind of that joyful crying, like a real release. Um, so, yeah, I, I love this story. Maybe next time by Cheska Major. I have questions. Have you okay. told me about this book before? Yeah. And what did I say? Uh, I think you were in one of yours like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, lots going on? I can't process any more stories. No. Stop, stop throwing names at me. Sounds great. Yeah. It sounds really good. I've just put it on my want to read list on Apple Books. And the uh, publisher have got some quotes from readers who reviewed it. And it just sounds terrific. It's and really it sounds, good. Yeah, yeah. It's got five stars all over the place. Right. Okay. Maybe next time. Jessica Major. That's a Reese's book club pick as well. Did you get there before Reese? I did. Well done. Thanks. Keep it bestsellers. You don't need risk. <laughs> um, right. The next one I'm going for, uh, I'm going to preface by saying that we're very much hoping to speak to the writer of this book in 2024. I think we're, we're trying to line something up for February. Uh, but this is S.A. Cosby. It's Sean Cosby, S-H-A-W-N. S.A. Cosby, All the Sinners Bleed. Now, I'm trying to think how, I'll tell you how I got to this. The last episode of season four of bestsellers was Steve Kavanagh mm-hmm. and Steve picked it right. And couldn't believe I'd not read a single essay Cosby because there are a couple of them. And so I got hold of it, gave it to you and we both demolished this book. 
And I'm, again, I'm trying to think it's quite difficult to describe um, what this is about without giving too much away. So maybe I need to pinch your trick and go to the um, publisher's blurb on it. Yeah. Um, but in essence, it, well, the reason I loved it is because it's set in the, in the South, in the deep South. And um, it's about, there's a school atrocity, isn't there? Yes. And it looks really straightforward to the police officer to start with. They, they've caught a kid with a weapon in a school and it looks like open and closed case. And then it's not. And it uncovers deep-seated divisions within the town in which the it's school is It's not a kid, set. right? It's it's a it's an adult who kills Oh, that's right. Is it somebody. a former pupil? Yeah, former pupil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But young though, right? So yeah, I'm using yeah. kid euphemistically yeah. as opposed to a student. Yeah. yeah, and it uncovers these deep-seated kind of divisions within the town across racial divide political divide class divide i think as well yeah yeah and all the while they're still trying to solve a murder which leads to more death and it's brilliantly paced it's brilliantly written i saw against uh keep quoting stephen king but i think he reviewed this for the new york times and he said he could taste the south off the page and i just thought right i mean and i was in and that is, I would say, the second best book I read in 2023. Yeah, it's it's an astonishing book. It was my first time coming to S.A. Cosby. He's written lots of other books. Um, I've seen various interviews with him as well because I just think he's a fascinating person to to find out more about. And yeah, the, this entire book kind of drips with that southern sort of oppressive heat and simmering tension. Um and it's pretty brutal in quite a lot of places, but sort of in that way of uh, it reminded me quite a lot of some of the those classic like nineties thrillers, yeah. you know, where yeah. there'd be an, an, an where they call them hard broiled with an R, and yeah. I never really knew what that meant. Did <laughs> yeah. you? But What's just like a really broiled? nasty murder, but actually there's it's just a well, not the murder's ever justified, but it's justified within the story because of some of the context that's going on yeah. around it. Yeah. Um, and it's not gruesome for gruesome sake. Yeah. No, not using gruesome as entertainment. The entertainment that you get from it is the skillful, hugely skillful way in which Sean manipulates the relationships within the book and mm. the setting. I mean, the setting's a key part of the story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, it's just superb. It's called All the Sinners Bleed. S. A. Cosby. And actually, when you finish it, you'll realise how apt that title is. Okay, so my... It's your penultimate, is it? Yeah, this is my penultimate, and I'm going to keep it brief because hopefully we might get to speak to this author as well, but keeping my fingers crossed, not getting my hopes up because it's Alice Hoffman, who was one of my all-time faves, and her latest book, which is called The Invisible Hour, and I'm going to put this one in here, seeing as you brought up Stephen King, talking about S.A. Cosby. Stephen King's also a huge fan of Alice Hoffman. He's incredibly supportive of her work. Um, she writes in a way that is so immersive. You kind of she's read... an American writer. She's an American writer. She wrote uh, way back in the day. She wrote Practical Magic. If anybody has read that or seen the film with Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, that was an Alice Hoffman story. And there are lots of sequels and prequels to that uh, realm as well. But this one, The Invisible Hour, which came out in the summer of 2023, is a standalone new story. It's about a woman who uh, finds herself 
pregnant, gets thrown out of her family home by her wealthy parents in Boston and ends up uh, being taken in by a community that's in basically a cult and then has to try and extricate herself from that. But it's set in the the time of sort of magic and, and mysticism and uh, there's a huge... Um, link to Nathaniel Hawthorne's writing in this as well and why do I know that name Nathaniel Hawthorne he wrote The Scarlet Letter oh yeah yeah so again one of those books whether you've read it or not you probably know the sentiment around it yeah I've Um, not read it but I've heard of it and yeah as soon as you said it it went ting yes yeah and there was Easy A the uh, Emma Stone film that was based on The Scarlet Letter as well so basically about a woman being branded bad for Mm. doing something that wasn't bad at all just because men in the society thought that that was the way that they should be shamed and punished um hopefully we've moved on from there yeah anyway alice hoffman the invisible hour i don't want to say too much more about it but she is known for her magical realism so her stories do exist in the world we live in the everyday life but she just kind of bends the edges a little bit so um it kind of you have to suspend your disbelief for parts of the story because she sort of takes you to a little bit of um I don't want to say too much more anyway it's great just read it Alice Hoffman and if we get to speak to her I'll be beside myself that's on me that isn't it yeah I've got to do um I've got to do a reply to that email I mean alternatively Alice if you're listening yes please the answer is yes <laughs> there we go so my book of 2023 would you like to have a guess um I think it's Dennis Lehane yeah, it is. Well done. Yeah, she knows me so well. Yeah, it's Dennis Lehane, Small Mercies. So a quick praise on this. Uh, Dennis was an author, wrote several books that did okay. Then The Wire got in touch and said, can you come and write on The Wire? And so he was a writer on The Wire as well as producing books. And then you may know his work because it's been done by people like, so Clint Eastwood did Mystic River as a film. Uh, Scorsese did Shutter Island as a movie. Um, so there's um what's the other one was it gone baby gone that yeah afflicts did so uh he's got great film pedigree his books are very cinematic he's now become a showrunner at apple so he's writing lists so he did say to us on this very podcast that he's not sure if there'll be another novel he hopes there will be but there, there may not be and for that reason alone you need to indulge yourself in small mercies it's set in 1974 in boston it's set in a true climate in boston where the local authority decided the best way to tackle racial segregation was to get all the kids at the predominantly white school and bust them to the black school and all the kids at the predominantly black school would get bust to the white school now i told that storyline using that sentence to a class full of uh, black and asian kids in a birmingham school recently and even they at 11 went what they did what (laughs) even they recognized that probably wasn't the coolest idea to tackle segregation And it led to riots and rioting. And Dennis has set a murder mystery in that tinderbox atmosphere of of what became known as the school busing. And it's such a clever book. It's also such a pacey thriller. And all the time I'm saying to myself, this actually happened. So the murder didn't happen. That's fictional. But the rest of it all happened. And it just blows your mind to think that went on in the year of my birth in Boston. Uh, And I love this book so much for that. And uh, when we interviewed him, Dennis said to us, so I said, where was, why was this um, an inspiration for you? Why, why set the story here? And he said, I've got a vivid memory of being nine years old in my own mum and dad's car. And dad took a wrong turn 
in Boston. And all of a sudden, he said, we're in the riot. And he said, I can see grown adults throwing house bricks at a school bus that's got kids on. And I remember thinking, whatever the protest, surely it's not worth throwing a brick at a bus window on the other side of which are young children. And that stayed with him from nine. And he's obviously way beyond nine now. And he's written this beautiful novel called Small Mercies. And his next project for Apple. So he did Blackbird with um, Taron Edgerton that you may have seen. And his next project for Apple is going to be, I think it's called, well, working title of Firebug. And it's about, again, true story of a firefighter who by day was putting out fires and by night was lighting them as an arsonist. And Dennis does real life brilliantly. And he can, he manages to merge perfectly things that you should know about that happen. So almost like historical document with hasty as fiction. And it's, that's why I, this book is my easily standout pick for this year. Yeah. I know you loved it. I loved it too. And I really enjoyed chatting to Dennis Lehane. If you haven't heard that uh, episode of bestsellers yet, just go back and find it. It's easy to find that one, but I think it's worth saying too, that there's a lot of humor in his story too. Yeah. Yeah. But he one, kind of does one or two characters in particular, aren't there? Who can turn a line. Exactly. He does that thing where it sort of, it kind of, you you almost want to think like it comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't because obviously he's built the characters so well, but there, there are these horrendous things happening and there's such tension throughout the story, but then there's just these great one-liners that come at you and just make it seem so, so real. Um, yeah, I love that story. Excellent pick. Thank you very much. That's my number one. What's your number one? Now, I shall I try and guess? Shall I try yeah. and guess? What, what have you loved this year? Well, I know it. Is you will know it. You right. will know it. But have we done it on the podcast? We have done it on the podcast, but I wonder if you will guess it. I don't think you will. Okay, go on then. I'm no, I don't no. have anything to offer. Okay, it is Cecilia Rabess with ah, Everything's Fine. Right. Okay. We did speak to Cecilia. This yeah, was did. her first book. Um, Everything's Fine is the title, and this is the one that is about. It's a bit like romantic comedy from Curtis Sittenfeld. This is about two people from very different backgrounds and lifestyles coming together. And will their relationship be able to survive everything else that's going on in their lives? But this was a black liberal woman and a white Republican, so conservative far right uh, man. And they have very different outlooks on life but they get on really well. They meet at university. You follow them over the course of about a decade. And it's sort of, it's set in America. She's an American author. And it takes you through the Obama administration into the Trump administration. And so you get the different viewpoints from both sides of these characters and how they're kind of dealing with all those societal changes, as well as the changes in their own relationships. But if that sounds quite heavy and political the story really isn't it's just a story about two people but with very different viewpoints on so many things and it's not it's not it's not a difficult read it's not argumentative in that way it's not it's not challenging in that it'll make you feel um kind of awkward or like if you if you're sort of sensing yourself tensing up already as I'm describing it I really don't mean to do that it's just no, let, let me tell you what it's yeah. not it's not that person at the dinner party that no, you might not. mention football or kids or music and they go yeah but we need a change of government it's not that it's not that person at the party um there are political things in it to create the friction between the two people natalie just told you about but i flew through this i yeah. love this and i don't like those kind of books and um 
it's a study in relationships. And you know what it's reminded me of recently, since you mentioned it. Mm. If you're if you're in the UK listening to us, if you're overseas, I'll describe this to you. But there's a show here that that plays every end of November and has done for the last 23 years. And it's called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And they take a load of famous people, stick them in the jungle, give them no food, get them to do menial tasks and see how they get on. And it's very uh, much a study in, in human behavior. And this year, um, as we record this, it's still on. And there is a far-right politician from Britain in it called Nigel Farage, who arguably was the architect of Brexit, arguably. And uh, what's been really interesting for me, relating back to this book, mm -hmm. is watching people and they go, oh, look, it's him. And at first there's friction. And then you're on day five, day six in the jungle. And they almost forget that they've got different politics to him because actually they're finding him quite affable and quite agreeable. And he's a grafter and he does his chores, the chores that he's given, he does in the jungle. And he's quite humorous. And all of a sudden there's a different side to him that they warm to until he says something and they go, oh yeah, you're that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and this book does that. There are lovely moments in this book where the male character is really kind to the female character. Mm -hmm. And then he'll say something about a person or a race or an issue. And she'll go, oh, you're still that guy. Yeah. That's why yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I am one of those people who is not watching I'm a Celebrity this year because of the, I don't even want to say his name effect. Okay. Because um, I find him so heinous. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a good comparison because it is that. And Cecilia Rabess has such a great turn of phrase that she does make you really like these characters. So again, kind of wherever you stand politically and, and wherever you are on that spectrum, she sort of shows the humanity in everybody, but then just kind of zooms back out and zooms in and goes like, oh, but it is still the person that thinks this at their core and really makes you kind of question some things maybe in your life and how you interact with other people sometimes. But within all of that sphere happening, it is it's such a page turner. It's pacey as hell. Like I kind of raced through this book. I just wanted to keep going back to it and read more of it and find out where she was going to take it next and it's really funny and some great dinner scenes and just kind of workplace scenes and um so much to relate to in this story and it was it was dealing with such fascinating and complex issues that are around us all the time right now I think any of us trying to navigate our way through life but dealt it dealt with it with in a light such, touch yeah exactly such a such a light touch and such a friendly warm way of telling this story that yeah i just loved it so i cannot wait to 100%. read what cecilia robes does next yeah so what's that called again cecilia robes is the author and it is called everything's fine and we did that back in i think september i want to say maybe a bit further but you'll find it um where you found this episode and cecilia was lovely really lovely and again like like you i whizzed through it uh, yeah. it's mercifully short my memory tells me as well uh, <laughs> uh, and yes i just want to reiterate what what you said if it was in any way aggy or whiny, I would not have read this book. Yeah, same. I wouldn't want no, to kind of go not. back to it. It would put me in a bad mood. But this yeah. put me in a great mood and, and just yeah. actually really it's helped clever. with it's lots really of things. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, those are then our picks for 2023. Uh, we'd love to know what yours are. So you can get in touch. Uh, bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email or through Kofi is probably another easy way to do it ko-fi.com slash bestsellerspodcast and you can also tip us a coffee there if you've enjoyed this year's work so that we can ensure another year comes to your ears didn't mean it to sound like that uh, in the next 12 months 
exactly and yeah keep your suggestions coming as well if there are people you are intrigued by authors you would love to hear more from that we don't know about let us know we have had a few of those um belinda bauer was an author that i don't know but i'm intrigued to to read some of her work as well so yeah if even if we don't get to interview them on bestsellers it opens up reading for me and phil which is great it should be a reciprocal thing 100 100 see you in 24.